Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 52 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, as you may have heard, the 500th episode of Ring of Honor Wrestling premieres this Thursday on Best on the Planet, which is ROH's free streaming service, which you can find on the live TV section of the Stir and Plex apps available in all major app stores. Of course, you can also watch the 500th episode over the weekend on your local Sinclair station, as well as on Fight and on ROHWrestling.com on Monday. Now, to commemorate the 500th episode, we have a very special guest today. He wrestled in the main event on episode one of ROH TV way back in September of 2011. He's formerly a member of the Kings of Wrestling. He and Claudio Castagnoli still hold the record for the longest reign as ROH World Tag Team Champions. He is, of course, Chris Hero. Chris, welcome to the show. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. <laughs> that was a mouthful. Yeah, I had, to get, I had to get the whole commercial in there for the 500th episode. Of course, man. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Uh, it's so great to have you here. We've been really looking forward to this. You know, we, a few weeks back, we were looking at, uh, you know, 500th episode coming up and wanted to have someone special and went back and, you know, looked at episode one and, and saw that, you know, you and Claudio were in that main event against uh, wrestling's greatest tag team, Haas and Benjamin. I thought, wouldn't it be perfect if we could get you to come on? So I'm so happy that you're doing this. Yeah, it's it's great to be here and talk about this stuff. You know, I have a lot of fond memories of my time in Ring of Honor and 500 episodes. What an accomplishment. That That is mind-blowing, really. It is, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like... Uh... It doesn't seem like it's been that long since ROH uh, was bought by Sinclair, but yeah, we're like 10 years in, 500 episodes. So, you know, I guess when, when you get a little bit older, time does fly. That cliche <laughs> is true. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, how have you been? I mean, uh, it's been a while since uh, we've seen you um, in the spotlight. I mean, I guess first question is, have, have you been able to avoid COVID? I have. I have stayed healthy. Um it had, I've maybe not mentally healthy. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't mean to make light of that, but it has just been uh, a ridiculously complicated and strenuous year. Uh, you know, just myself personally, a lot of other people, um, you know, friends and family. It's just, it's been um, just, just, just a hard time. Um, I have kept safe. Uh, I've kept mentally busy. I've got a I've got a podcast going on now that's been a lot of fun. It's been cool to, you know, talk about a lot of this stuff that's been in my brain for so long. Uh I miss wrestling. It's it's tough. Uh I am still not completely comfortable with getting out and traveling and and working on some shows. Uh I absolutely will be back, but it's just a matter of uh the right place and the right time and I've been patient so far. Uh and I don't want to say light at the end of the tunnel, but things are definitely easing up a bit more and I'm looking uh looking forward to seeing what what comes our way for the rest of 2021. Yeah, I think uh, we're all in the same boat as far as being cautiously optimistic that we do see that light at the end of the tunnel. But we don't want to say it out loud, right, because we don't want to 
we don't want to jinx it, but I want to jinx across. it. Uh, so when you, you know, I have, obviously this is an ROH podcast, so I have to ask the question. Um, certainly a lot of the ring of honor fans would love to see Chris hero back. Uh, is there a chance that, that that could possibly be something in the future? Yeah, it's absolutely something that's possible. It's not something that has really been discussed. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not taking any bookings at the moment. I'm not really, you know, I don't even have anything in the future. People message me about, you know, the summer and the fall and I just, I'm not okay. Um, just confirming anything when everything is just still so up in the air. So um, it's absolutely not out of the question, but it is not something that is actually in the works. Okay. So you're saying there's a chance. I'm right. saying there's a chance. All right. It's all we can, can ask for at this point. Uh, you mentioned your podcast and that's one of the first things I wanted to ask you about. It's called, can Chris hero save wrestling? So for those people who maybe aren't familiar with it, uh, haven't heard it yet. Uh, tell us about, uh, you do it with Conrad Thompson, correct? That is correct. Okay. So obviously you're doing it with the, the king of, of wrestling podcasts. The pro wrestling podfather, the as podfather. I like to call that, him. That, that's it. That's, that's really <laughs> <apt>. <laughs> So yeah. what, is, what is the, you know, what, what can people expect from uh, in Chris Hero Save Wrestling? Okay. So the name itself, it's just kind of a bit of a pun. I'm Chris Hero. I'm here to save people. Um, so there isn't any ulterior meaning behind that. Um, but when I think of saving pro wrestling, I think of preserving and shedding light on certain aspects of pro wrestling and pro wrestling history and sharing them with, with an audience. Um, I don't, I don't think pro wrestling is something that needs to be saved per se, but I just want to do my part to, uh, to tell stories and to talk about some of these wonderful things I've been able to do and these experiences that I've had, but then also speak to the younger generation of pro wrestlers where every episode I give a little bit of advice, um, you know, some words of wisdom, whether it is something like it's not, um, it's it's get more out of less, not less is more. I think less is more is a thing that puts people off and you start people at a, you know, you get off on the wrong foot with people when you try to tell them to do less. It's get more out of less, something like that. Um, I talk about how there's no such thing as a bad crowd, just bad wrestlers, right? We are put into these situations and we have to make the best of them regardless of the audience. And it is our job to conduct uh, that audience. Um, so just certain little philosophies and, and thoughts that I have on pro wrestling in general, and I like spreading them out. I want everybody that is in it and active to hold themselves account accountable, uh, hold yourselves to a higher standard. And by giving myself a platform to do this uh, once a week, I kind of spread that positive energy out there. That's what I'm hoping to do. And Conrad, he's, he's such a great host. He's so experienced. He's so busy. Um, our episodes uh, kind of run the gamut. You know, we talk a little bit about my career. Uh, we have different little time periods, you know, like his typical format, whether it is Bruce or Jim Ross um, or Arn. But I also have things where 
you know, people submit questions or I have a, a special additional episode called hashtag ask wrestling genius. And that's kind of where I get into the wrestling nerd type stuff where someone says, you know, I don't understand why a Russian leg sweep would hurt the, uh, the taker more than the giver, you know, something technical like that. And I can kind of break it down and explain my, my viewpoint on it. Um, so I have a, I also, I, I did an episode on Tracy Smothers. He was a guy that was very near and dear to me, someone I admired greatly and someone that was just a, a massive part of my career and just, uh, I wanted to do his career justice and talk about him from from day one up until uh, his passing. And that's just, you know, the people listening to that, you know, some of them absolutely know and love Tracy Smothers, but some of them are completely unfamiliar. So that is just my opportunity to do some research and, and just get a topic out there and get people to start talking about it. And then you listen to an episode and maybe you're encouraged to seek out some, some, uh, extra footage and kind of watch and experience things on your own. I think there is a lot of things. There are a lot of things from my era of pro wrestling. I broke in 1998 and here we are 2021. There are some forgotten heroes of pro wrestling that were very instrumental in my career or people that had a big influence on me that just people are not super familiar with now. And I love having a platform where I can go out and talk about that as well. So the show is still, um, you know, we're still working things out. I'm getting the hang of it. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback and I'm just excited to do so much more. Well, yeah, it sounds like a, like a great concept and, and something that's a little bit different. You know, there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot of wrestling podcasts out there, um, including this one. And um, this sounds like something a little bit different than what you might hear, uh, you know, in other places. And even with the type of shows that Conrad does, which, um, which are awesome, but they're all, a lot of them are, you know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, the, the Monday Night Wars and things like that, which are awesome hearing those old stories and, you know, people's perspectives on them looking back. But this sounds like something completely different. And, and like you say, kind of maybe fills a different kind of uh, niche. Yeah. And what I like about it, I think it's instrumental that we have Conrad on this because he is so versed and so familiar with the wrestling we grew up on, you know, whether it's late seventies to the eighties to the nineties, early two thousands. Right. But there are some parts of my career that he has, he absolutely has a tertiary knowledge of, but there are parts of it that I just need to fill in the blanks for him. So as I, tell him these stories and, and kind of teach him about some of these people, you know, it's the same thing with the audience. You know, I'm pulling people from my career, people that uh, have followed my career rather. And then I'm pulling people that uh, just love listening to Conrad on different podcasts. So I get to educate uh, as well as just kind of relive these things. I, I take a lot of pride in my memory. I think I have an excellent memory and I am just, deathly afraid of forgetting <laughs> any of these wonderful moments that I've experienced because like I said I remember things very well but every now and again I'll hear a story and I'll be like oh my god I can't believe I forgot that what a great story let me let me pencil that down so I don't forget it well I love hearing that you have an excellent memory because uh, we're going to try and uh, talk about some uh, you know great moments memorable moments from uh, from your career in Ring of Honor and in other places but 
since, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're having you on to commemorate basically um, ROH 500, our 500th episode of television. And uh, you and Claudio in that first main event, you were the former tag team champions at that point. You were challenging Haas and Benjamin, wrestling's greatest tag team, who were the current champions. Um, spoiler alert, you didn't, you guys didn't regain the titles that oh, night. man. <laughs> You're Not making bad. me really love this all over again. <laughs> but I just have to ask you, though, you know, that was a, a landmark uh, moment, obviously. Uh, Sinclair had just bought the company uh, from Carrie Silken. This was episode one. Um, what, was there a sense of pride, I guess, maybe being put in that main event spot um, on the very first show? Absolutely. Uh, anytime you get put in the main event or you get given a significant amount of time on a show, that is something that makes you feel good, something that makes you feel uh, like the hard work is paying off. Um, Haas and Benjamin were guys that we had good chemistry with. And it was just, um, you know, we had some of our some of our better tag matches with them. And it was a, a very interesting time for Ring of Honor. Our contracts expired uh, around WrestleMania of that year. And, you know, we were looking to go to WWE. We had uh, talked with a couple people. Um, and we were transparent with everybody. We explained, um, you know, what we were hoping to do. Uh, so it wasn't anything... Uh, <laughs> anything dishonest uh but what we did was instead of um you know signing a new contract we just kind of had an agreement for the next couple months to kind of see how things went uh we went and we had our tryout and we're just kind of finishing up so it was just a an interesting time because it was such a new chapter for ring of honor and it was it was fascinating to be a part of that when everything is kind of coming together, but then also it's it's a bit surreal that we're we're basically on our way out at the same time. Right. Yeah, that was an interesting position, obviously, uh, for you guys specifically to be in. Uh, looking back on that night, if you recall, was there uh, what was the mood like uh, just in the locker room? I mean, was there a feeling that this was indeed a game changer, kind of a huge moment for Ring of Honor? Because I mean, Kerry Silkins talk, talked about it publicly on this podcast and, and many others that he was losing money at the time and had Sinclair not come in and bought the company, Ring of Honor probably would not have survived. I mean, was, was the talent aware, like what the state of the company was at that point and how big of a deal this was that Sinclair came in? I don't think anyone knew how dire it, it had become. I think we knew that it was difficult and they were working their way through it. But I think the roster, the roster was made up of so many seasoned pro wrestlers, right? We, a lot of us had just come from all over. And when you come from all over and you spend any amount of time in the business, you hear, you know, promises, Oh, this is going to happen. This is going to this, that, 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 right. And it doesn't take you very long to realize that most of those things are not going to come true. <laughs> that is just the nature of, of pro wrestling, whether someone is, you know, actively trying to get one over on you or they're just, you know, a little bit too optimistic. 
Um, but a lot of us had been around the block. We'd seen that type of stuff. So we were, I felt at least that there was a little apprehension, a little hesitance, not in any kind of negative way, but we were just like, all right, who are these people? <laughs> what are they, what are they trying to do? What do they want to do? What's in it for them? Um, and I believe that that taping, um, I believe we were in Chicago Ridge. Yeah. Uh, the, the locker room there is a gym, <laughs> right? So there are fly machines and benches and leg press, and you just kind of have to set up your bags <laughs> where yeah. you can find a little bit of space. So I just have this moment of Joe Coff talking to the locker room and kind of explaining things, and we're all like seated on various uh, exercise equipment. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's, it sounded good. It sounded great, but there's a lot of things in pro wrestling that sound good and sound great. You just have to, um, you know, have the patience to kind of see it through and then also just not get your hopes up too much because, uh, you, you don't know. There's so much uncertainty in a business like professional wrestling. So, um, I think 500 episodes later, <laughs> we have our answer as yeah. to how that's going to turn out. Absolutely. But yeah, you make a great point. I mean, you had been in Ring of Honor about seven or eight years at that point. So you had already seen some highs and lows, peaks and valleys, uh, you know, HD net, and then that ending. And so you, you had kind of seen the company growing um, in spurts, I guess, at that point anyway. So this was just another, uh, another step along the way. Um, let me ask you, though, a, a quick trivia question for you about episode one. Uh, do you remember, you were in the main event that night, obviously, we said that, but there was a, another match that night, the first match on episode one. Do you recall what it was? Hmm. It involved a, uh, a tag team, uh, guys that ended up uh, doing pretty well for themselves. Oh, was it, uh, was it Briscoes and uh, Kenny and Rhett? That's, that's a great guess. I think that might have been episode two or three, but it was actually Future Shock. Oh yeah, yeah. We had actually wrestled them uh, in Atlanta earlier that year. Yeah, I had um, a, a, a cool thing for me is I got to work with Cole and O'Reilly on HD Net tapings. Um, I had a singles with Kyle O'Reilly, and then uh, Cole was a part of some tag gauntlet we were doing, some Kings of Wrestling gauntlet we were doing with some some younger guys. And then we got to work with them in a tag match, WrestleMania weekend in Atlanta. And, uh, that was, um, I believe the night prior we had lost the belts back to Haas and Benjamin. Okay. Um, so just, yeah, what a, you know, I feel a lot of pride in seeing where both of those guys have, have gone, what all they've done. Um, and just, you know, just being a small part of it. That's very cool for me. Yeah, I went back and watched episode one in preparation for uh, the podcast today. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, they were known as Future Shock, Colin O'Reilly. They took on the Bravado Brothers. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that was the very first match, episode one. Um, I want to ask you this, though. You did a, uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because Please. you have a, a really cool moment, right? Uh, you were, cel I've heard you talk about this other places. You were celebrating your, 20th year in pro wrestling and uh, since we were just talking about Cole and O'Reilly you got to do a pretty cool thing with them right on an NXT show and uh and Claudio made like a big surprise run in yeah I we were in Orlando 
and I wrestled Adam Cole uh, for the championship. And God, he's just one of my favorite opponents. Um, I've you know gotten to work with him so many different times, and it's just it's always a night off in the fact that there's you know there's no stress whatsoever. He's he's so easy. His stuff is so good. Um, and I just, I think we mesh very well together as opponents and just what a, what a cool thing to, you know, have a main event match, um, with him that night and just a little, you know, little bells and whistles. He's got the undisputed era with him. He's got all of his boys and we were just able to do a little something special for the live audience where, you know, they're, they're just, they're such, they're such a gang, right? They're always ganging up very horseman style. And the fact that, you know, you, there may be one in the ring, but you got to have eyes in the back of your head. Uh, so, you know, Claudio Cesaro, he was in town and he did us the favor of making a little appearance. And it just was very cool to get to share the ring with him again and just have a very special moment. I'm glad we got some videos of it. Um, just a, just a really, really fun thing. And just a, a cool, a cool thing for me to have on my 20th anniversary of pro wrestling. It wasn't on the exact date, but you know, within a month. Close, yeah. You yeah. Know, like said, it was a really cool thing for you, but also for the fans that were there. I mean, uh, I watched the clip again recently, and, you know, as the late, great Pat Patterson would say, the, the place went banana. Banana, singular. Right. <laughs> when Claudio came out. So, obviously, look, we can't do a, a, a podcast with Chris Hero without talking about Claudio, of course. Of course, yeah. Uh, and, again, in doing my research, you guys actually cross paths years before ring of honor uh according to my research which may or may not be correct the first time you guys met was 2002 in chikara is that accurate okay so we did meet in 2002 but it was actually in switzerland oh uh i had lucked into going to germany in the year 2000 i went over and did a weekend of shows and uh, in Hanover, Germany. And that really planted the seeds uh, for me to have make quite a career out of going back and forth to, uh, to Europe uh, many, many times, you know, 30, 40, 50 times over the years. And what happened was I came upon a European wrestling scene that was, how can I explain this? Uh, inexperienced, uh, but just full of heart. Right. There were so many guys that just were so passionate about pro wrestling, but with catch wrestling kind of drying up for the most part, there weren't any, there weren't many avenues for them to break into pro wrestling. So I went over there and, you know, I'm working in Germany, I'm working in the Netherlands, I'm working in Switzerland. And when I'm putting these matches together with guys, they just don't, they didn't have the type of experience that, that I had, even though I was only three, four, five years in, I just was able to spend more time training in different places and having matches with different people. So working with me for some of these young guys was uh, kind of career altering because it's, you, you know, you, you break into the business and you think you know something and then you meet someone that knows a good amount more and you're just, it just kind of changes your perspective and you're like, oh my gosh, what is, po you know, what's possible? Um, and 
I had that effect on, on some people and they started to bring me back over to Europe and I would run these training camps. I'd do, it wasn't just a day long seminar. I'd do like four or five days in a building. We'd do two sessions a day and I would just kind of, uh, pass on things that I had learned, whether it be from my time at Dory Funk's camp or, or the time I spent at Les Thatcher school or just little things I would come up with on my own. And just, I didn't, you know, reinvent the wheel. I just helped fine tune these guys and take their ideas and try to filter them a little bit. And Claudio was one of my students. Um, He was in a tag team called Swiss Money Holding. They were like these rich Swiss bankers, him, himself, RS. They had a third guy named Mark Rodin. And I had done seminars with all of them and spent time with all of them. And Claudio and I just really hit it off. We had good chemistry in the ring. We had good chemistry um, out of the ring. And we would just, uh, we, would, we would talk on instant messenger, if you remember that was a thing. Yeah. And he started to come to the States and he would, you know, fly himself over and try to get as much work as possible and then go back and whatnot. Eventually, oh, Claudio won the green card lottery. Um, It's a thing you can apply for over there in Switzerland and you have to, you know, have this and have that and just all these different requirements. And he got his name picked out and he was able to move to the States in 2004. And that was really when things kind of took off for him because, there's only so much you can do when you are a continent away. Um, So it went from Claudio being my student to me telling certain promoters in the States, like, Hey, you know, Claudio's coming with me, da, 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 da. And then people seeing him and being like, Oh my God, this guy is incredible. (laughs) Why, why is he wrestling in a business shirt? You know, he's, he's in great shape. Like what, you know, he was so devoted to that gimmick at that time. Uh, it was just a, a funny little thing. And s- people tie our careers together so tightly because of uh, the moments that we had together as a team. But people forget that Claudio got into Ring of Honor six months before I did. Yeah. Um, I believe he was recommended by Punk. I believe it was Punk that got him a spot. And he came in and worked with Alex Shelley. He worked with Nigel McGuinness. He worked with Milano, Jimmy Rave, a bunch of those guys. And that was the time when I was not a Ring of Honor guy. I was kind of like, I don't want to say outlaw, but I was kind of looked upon as a guy that was not good enough to be in Ring of Honor, which was basically the entire basis of the ROH CCW feud that started with myself and Brian Danielson. Um, and s- because of Claudio, you know, already existing in the company that just made for such an interesting wrinkle of that story and just ma- you know, made for great pro wrestling storytelling. And it's just, uh, he's had such a long, wonderful career Um, and just so many different aspects of it. It's just fascinating to look back on. Well, I think the thing too, is everybody does remember you guys as uh, as a tag team, uh, you know, the Kings of wrestling, but you guys also were opponents. I mean, you guys, and you were in so many different places together, whether you CZW or, you know, Chikara, like you mentioned, I mean, all these different places. And sometimes you were, you know, a lot of times you were partners, sometimes you were opponents. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess you really had that chemistry no matter what you were doing. I mean, I'm sure working with him as an opponent uh, must have been, like you said before, with like almost like a night off, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, 
maybe not a night off in the aspect of another grown man uh, picking you up and hurling you across the ring <laughs> with might. Uh, God, he is just so, I mean, he looks great, but you don't realize how strong he's going to be. Um, you know, he's like a, like a Ted RCD, Bill Kazmaier type power lifter that you're like, oh my Lord, what is happening to my body? I cannot, you know, and I'm, I'm six, five, you know, at that time, two fifty ish. And I'm like, what is going on? Um, but a night off in the way that he and I, you know, knew each other, like the, the backs of our hands. Uh, we just had so many iterations of our relationship from, you know, originally teacher student to, uh, opponents to partners to, you know, me basking in awe, you know, being ringside at a tour of pro wrestling Noah and just watching him lift Morishima onto his shoulders with ease and just spinning him around. It's, I'm just like, what have I created a monster? What is this? Yeah. The things that he can do in the ring, uh, it, it is just, it's like stuff that nobody else does. And it just looks so, you know, spinning people around, on his upper, you know, shoulders and with no hands and just like crazy stuff that you can little little bit of trivia here. <laughs> I could be wrong, but the way I remember it is it that he got that hands-free movement from an episode of America's Got Talent. No way. Yeah, I'm not that's that's kind of how I remember it. Uh you know, maybe he'll dispute it, but I do remember him him coming up with that and, and spinning people around. And then he added the Batista machine guns with the forearms, but um, just a, just an incredible move. The UFO, the unidentified flying opponent. Yes. That's great stuff. So, you know, we talked about all the different places you guys ended up in one guy, one place you ended up in together where your paths really didn't cross except for that one special moment, I guess we talked about was in WWE was there ever, a, a, um, I don't know if regret's the right word, or I mean, was there ever a, a disappointment or that you guys didn't get to do your thing together in WWE? I don't think regret is the right word. I just always felt that if something was meant to be, you know, it would eventually shake out and work out that way. Um, when we had our tryout, Triple H was very clear. He's like, hey, you know, we're going to bring you guys in. Uh, we're not looking at you guys as a team. We're looking at you guys individually. Um, but the door is always like, the door is always open for something if it works out in the future. And the way things happened, um, we both moved down to Florida in September of 2011. And he got to start with FCW immediately. And then I had some issues with my, with my physical, with my testing uh, that kept me blocked out for five months. Uh, so I'm down in Florida. This is actually when I was able to come back to Ring of Honor and I did uh, final battle as a surprise against Roderick Strong. I came in January and wrestled Elgin in Philadelphia and one last show at the Philly Armory. Um, but at that time, I was kind of in limbo because I had signed the contract. I had moved down there, but I just I had to wait. You know, I had to wait for these certain things to be um, worked out. So I didn't get a start. Uh, down there until February. And if you look at things, February, March, April, and then Claudio's already getting called up. 
So I was able, I worked with him a couple times. We had some three ways, I think with like Bo Dallas or, you know, a couple other people, you know, we crossed paths in that we wrestled on television for FCW. Um, we did a, we had a moment when he was on the main roster uh, being managed by Exana where he worked with punk on a, and a dark match for TV taping and at full sale. And Oksana caused the DQ. I came out to put the boots to punk with him. Here comes Seth Rollins. And we turned it into a tag, uh, which eventually did get released on some type of DVD. Uh, it was a DVD extra, I think, on an NXT set. Uh, but that was just a, a dark match. You know, It was a crazy match. Myself and, and Cesaro against Punk and, and Seth Rollins or Tyler Black. Just a, a crazy match to look back on. But it was... I think it was just a, a favor to punk. I don't think there was any thought behind it. So when you look back, there are several moments when you could go, oh man, I think things could have worked out very well here or very well there, but you just have to have the right person that wants that. <laughs> and if nobody, if you know, the right person doesn't want it, it doesn't matter because it ain't going to happen. Well, yeah, and looking back on that time frame. Um, it's, it's funny because I started as a writer in WWE in August of 2011. So right around that same time. But it's interesting though, that, that Hunter and that's triple H Hunter, obviously, um, said, now we're not going to bring you guys in as a tag team may have been doing you guys a favor at that point, because again, having been in WWE at that time, tag team wrestling was not very, uh, appreciated. It was very low on the priority list. And, um, you know, we had, you know, like guys like Primo and Epico were like the tag team champions and they couldn't even get on TV or if they yeah. did, they were getting like squashed by Big Show in a handicap match. And it's one of the things I would fight back on a lot of times in, in meetings is like, why don't we put some more equity into the, into the tag belts? Because like we have them, like why, you know, but, but tag team wrestling, I mean, I don't think the Kings of Wrestling would have fit in, I guess, right at that point as far as, you know, where tag team wrestling was. Yeah, it's when you have someone that sees uh, individuals as so it it's the way that tag teams are perceived rather when one tag team partner gets injured oftentimes his partner just get gets put on the shelf right there isn't like a a moment where this guy's all of a sudden going to get a singles push. They, they're perceived as an act. And when one member of the act is gone, um, it's incomplete. You know, that's why things have been fortunate for the new day, right? Because they're a three man group and they've all gone through various injuries, but they were able to plug the third guy in and all these different aspects to keep that act going for so long. But, you know, there's just certain people that see teams in that way, where the wrestling I grew up on, and I'm sure you grew up on as well, it was not strange to see Ric Flair defend his championship against Road Warrior Hawk, right. um, to defend his championship against Ricky Morton, and not just defend it, to think like, oh my God, he was so close to winning. That is crazy. And that just gives credibility to tag team wrestlers where – you know, you, it's not just these guys only operate as a team. They are both capable individually. And then when you put them together, they are extremely capable. That's, there's not enough emphasis put on that in, in today's wrestling, I don't think. Yeah, no, I, would, I would agree with that for sure. One other question I want to ask you, because um, you kind of have a unique perspective on it as, a, as one of the former 
Ring of Honor guys who went to WWE. And this is not to bash WWE or anything like that. This is just a philosophical question. Is, you know, again, when I was there, um, I heard when there were former, like, Ring of Honor guys who were big stars in Ring of Honor, world champions, or guys who excelled on the indie scene, that wasn't necessarily viewed by some people in power as, like, a, um, as a positive, right? I heard things like, you know, we, man, they're really good, but we need to break them of, of these indie habits and things like that. And hearing it at the time, it, it, it sounded to me like an insult. <laughs> but I'm curious what your thought was about that in general. And did you experience any of that personally? Did anybody try to get you to, hey, don't do that. We don't do that here. Oh, man, I've had tons of that. Even in my recent stint at NXT where they think there are certain ways that things should always be done. And it is absolutely, you know, now not as much, but it is still a knock on you to be an indie guy. They see indie as kind of a bad word. And I don't know how many of them actually have a grasp of what the independent scene has done over the years. I think they just see it the way it is. And they know that their boss likes things this way. And we need to make sure that the new guys coming in do it this way, because if they don't, they're going to get chewed out. Um, so it's very much a reprogram, retrain, reteach, break bad habits kind of thing when it, these things don't matter when you are a star, right? right. You could, I, I just mentioned his name a little bit ago, but you could put on uh, Ric Flair versus Steamboat from 89, right? And you could critique it with 2021 eyes and be like, oh my God, why is he doing this? Or why is he doing that, right? That's how people in certain positions now would look at that and be like, oh my God, I can't believe he's turning his back to his opponent or why is he interacting with the crowd? You know, you're a star. You shouldn't be talking individually with fans or um, why is, you know, why is he uh, pandering so much to the audience? Like you don't do that on television. That's a house show thing. Like there are just these certain habits that we get because we're in there figuring this stuff out and it's a, wash, rinse, repeat. Let's do it this way. Get the response. Okay. That worked this time. I'll keep that in my brain so that next time when I need that response, I'll try to do the same thing or I'll change it up to try to get an even better reaction. Right. But when you're in that system, what you have to remember is you're no longer wrestling for yourself. You're, you're not even really a wrestler. You are, you will have opportunities to wrestle, but you are a, um, a superstar that is telling these stories that they want you to tell and occasionally doing wrestling moves. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how it breaks down. And it can be very frustrating for people that have pro wrestling tied to the identity of who they are and who they want to be because you you will unless you become a huge star you will not have the time on television to wrestle wrestle you'll be in there for four minutes here 10 minutes here maybe 15 minutes on a pay-per-view but it will be micromanaged and until you gain a certain amount of equity you have to do things their way 
And if you don't do things their way, you will not get to an opportunity where you can build that equity up, right? Yeah, that's so. You look, you, you see someone like Kevin Owens, right? And he is basically himself. You know, he's himself. He kind of does what he does, but he wasn't afforded that from day one. Right. You know, he had to earn that over time. Same with Sami Zayn, you know, same with a lot of these guys. You just have to work your way through the system, gain that equity, gain that trust, and then they kind of let you do what you want. Yeah, that's that's accurate. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate hearing your perspective on that as someone who was actually, you know, in it. To, to hear what you what you thought of it all right well we're gonna take our first break uh this has been a fascinating conversation so far we're just getting started uh we'll be back with more with chris hero right after this best of the planet roh's 24-hour streaming channel is celebrating the 500th episode of roh tv with an exclusive two-hour special presentation on thursday april 15th Relive the top moments in ROH TV, beginning with the very first TV main event. Then, for the first time ever, watch the free premiere of ROH TV's 500th episode. Streaming Thursday, April 15th, starting at 6 p.m. Only on Best on the Planet. Find the Best on the Planet streaming channel on Stir and Plex or go to ROHwrestling.com for more info. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Chris Hero. As we've been talking about, uh, episode 500. A Ring of Honor Television is coming up this Thursday. It premieres on Best on the Planet. You can also catch it uh, over the weekend on your local Sinclair stations and also Monday on Fight TV and on ROHWrestling.com. Now, Chris, as we mentioned, was in the main event of Episode 1. It was uh, Chris and Claudio Castagnoli, the Kings of Wrestling, against Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. You can actually watch that match uh, this Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. There will be a two-hour special on Best on the Planet before the premiere of the 500th episode. And on that two-hour special, uh, we will show you 10 of the greatest matches in uh, Ring of Honor TV history uh, from 2011 to the current day. And that match... Uh, the main event of episode one will be part of that. So you're not going to want to miss that. So a three-hour block of programming Thursday night on Best on the Planet, ROH's 24-7 streaming service. Uh, so Chris, I want to go back a little bit to uh, your early days, even before you were in the business. I love to ask this question to people because everyone has a different story of how they discovered pro wrestling and, and at what age. What, what's your story? I knew wrestling existed, but I didn't really know much about it and it didn't quite pull me. Um, you know, I, I knew, I knew what the LJN figures were. I remember seeing those at the store. Um, I, for some reason, I have a memory of Paul Orndorff doing a pile driver. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't know much else around you know i going back now obviously i know everything that happened but it wasn't until royal rumble 89 that i saw you know actually watched and started to follow and then from that pay-per-view all the tv episodes leading up to wrestlemania 5 i i watched all of that um i 
you know, would tape things on Saturday morning. Um, it would be like an hour of WCW, an hour of WWF. Uh, there might be some monster trucks thrown in there. There might be some American gladiators, but I just would record this and obviously watch it back. But I would also try to get the magazines at that time. Gosh, there were so many monthly wrestling magazines. Um, but then, you know, my mom would also take me to flea markets or garage sales. And then you'd flip through someone's collection of old wrestling magazines. And then you would be like, Oh my gosh, it's just such a vast world. Um, you know, you watch one pay-per-view and you think you kind of, oh, I kind of get it. And it's like, oh, no, there are thousands upon thousands of pro wrestlers. And that's just in this country. <laughs> so it took me a while to kind of start to figure that kind of stuff out. But I was diehard, man. My mom started to take me to shows uh, after WrestleMania of that year. My first show was, you know, I, I don't know. I want to say May-ish, 89 at Hera Arena in Dayton, Ohio. Um, you know, Warrior versus Rick Rude. Um, I think the first match that I actually saw was Bad News Brown against the Blue Blazer. Um, but I, you know, I was hooked. I just was just so, you know, into the creativity and the bright colors and these personalities. Like I, I just loved it so much. And I followed for a couple years, uh, pretty extensively and then getting into high school around, you know, late 93, early 94. Um, I just started to tune out and I, you know, once you get into high school, just life changes. And I was playing football. I was uh, just, you know, meeting new people. I went from a, a middle school that had maybe 70 people in my grade to a high school that had 500. So it was just a, a pretty big culture shock for me to try to grasp this and get a handle on everything. And I just did not care about wrestling anymore. It was my senior year. It was fall of 97. I started to watch Nitro again. Uh, I started to watch wrestling again. Nitro was what I chose uh, because it had gotten kind of popular. There were people in school that were watching Nitro and uh, I was like, oh yeah, let me, let me kind of check that out. And I just became obsessed again. And then it was, you know, a couple months later I started watching WWF again. And then I just, I never thought that I could do it because Gosh, I remember seeing a special, maybe it was the power plant or something, and it's just guys doing squats and guys puking, and it was just very uh, drill sergeanty, and it made me think of Full Metal Jacket, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I thought pro wrestling training was. Uh, so I just, just in my head, I never was even thought to pursue it. And at uh, the end of my senior year, I had played volleyball. I was on the volleyball team. And a friend of a friend, uh, you know, a friend of a friend was having a wrestling match. And they were talking about it. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, I need to know everything about this. So they put me in touch with the guy. And he's like, yeah, you know, come check out my show. You know, I'm having my first match. And just like, what do you mean your first match? I don't, if you have never seen independent wrestling, you don't understand. You don't know that this thing could exist. Right. So uh, it was myself, uh, my girlfriend at the time, one of my best friends, Andy, who I'm still very close with. Awesome guy, still lives in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, he designed the original Chris Hero logo. Um, 
but the three of us went to the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio, home of the first King of the Ring, and we bought tickets uh, to a wrestling show. And we got the tickets and it said WWF. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like there's a wrestling show here. Like we're, we're trying to see. So we returned the tickets and they're like, Oh, just go on the other side of the building. We go on the other side of the building and there is a wrestling ring in the parking lot, <laughs> which is absolutely not what I was expecting at all. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was not that, you know, it's middle of the summer. It's, it's hot. There's a ring in the baking sun. There's a little bit of guardrail set up around the ring. And, and then I proceeded to watch this show. And, uh, you know, the guy that I came to watch wrestle, uh, he lost in 10 seconds. <laughs> and uh, I was, but it didn't, it didn't matter. I was just so fascinated. And, and everybody looked, I, I don't want to, this isn't like a burial of them, but they weren't larger than life in the way that an ultimate warrior or a Mr. Perfect would have been right. These seemed like normal guys. And I thought of myself as a normal guy and I thought, man, okay, how do I, how do I do this? What are, where do I go? How did you do this? And how can I also do this? So I'm asking all these questions and eventually I get put in touch with a place about 45 minutes South of me in Middletown, Ohio. And I went down there Gave him some money, started to train twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. And gosh, it was probably just two months later that I had my first match. So crazy to look back on. But I went from rediscovering pro wrestling to getting into pro wrestling myself in less than a year. Um, and I, I wasn't, I didn't know what an observer was. I didn't, I thought Goldberg was awesome. <laughs> you know, I just had not, uh, I didn't know anything about Japanese wrestling aside from the great Muda and Jushin Liger are very cool. <laughs> That's, that was the extent of my knowledge. And it's so fascinating to look back on that time in my life and that time in my career that I was just discovering these things that would be, you know, interwoven into the fiber of my life for the next, you know, 20 plus years. A couple of things you said there that were interesting. One of them was, how you saw the uh, WCW power plant and how yeah, it, it was like a drill sergeant. It was, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. If yeah. Drill Sarge, sergeant. Buddy Lee Parker, Buddy Lee Parker, right. Who was the, the trainer there. And it really did seem like the idea was not to necessarily recruit guys to work for your company. It was to see if you could run them off, make them vomit, go home, never come back. And the bigger they were, the better, because I guess that, I don't know if it was a, uh, and I don't know, I don't know Dwayne Bruce, Buddy Lee Parker at all. I don't know if there was a uh, Napoleon complex there, but he seemed to enjoy running off the bigger guys. And one of the famous ones was Dave Batista. Because Batista talked about it. He showed up there. He got, you know, run off by Sarge. And, you know, well, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, the joke's on you, right? Because Batista made a lot of money for WWE. Yeah. I, and I can understand the mentality because I've spent so much time training and working with people over the years that it is very frustrating and discouraging to put your time and effort into teaching someone the business only to see them, you know, quit the second something gets a little difficult. Sure. Um, so there, there's a, a much better way to figure it out. But their way was to, all right, let's, 
Pardon. Let's push these guys to their physical and mental brink. And if they keep coming back, then we will actually teach them something. Right. Um, it's, it's, I, it's understandable, but there has to be a better way than, than that. And obviously most, it's so much easier now to get into pro wrestling to the point where you think it almost should be a little bit harder. Uh, but you know, it's, it, you never know. You never know what people are going to take to it, what people are going to just give up, what people um, are going to be stars. It, you you just don't know. And it was such a fascinating time in American pro wrestling um, that, gosh, I'm sure they just had people showing up at that power plant every day. Yeah. And you just can't accept everybody and let them all in and hope you find a couple stars, you know, things have to be um, a bit rigorous because if you, if you don't test anybody, how do you know they're going to, how do you know that they're going to perform under pressure? You know, how well are they going to perform? Right. No, I think that's a great point is that it is obviously a very tough business, as you said, not only from a physical standpoint, but mentally as well. And you want people that are going to be mentally tough and physically tough and can handle it. So, there has to be a way to uh, sort of bring that out in a person. But like you said, there's probably a better way to do it than what, than what was done in some cases. Yeah. There's actually um, a documentarian from the UK named Louis Thoreau. And he went to the power plant and trained for a couple of days. And he's just this tall, thin guy. Um, he's cutting promos on Pez Watley, who was there helping out at the power plant at the time. And uh, another, just a funny little bit of trivia, since you mentioned their names earlier. There's also a segment in this, uh, his episode, where he goes to North Carolina and he finds some down-home wrestling promotion that you know, has hardcore matches with cookie sheets, you know, that kind of Burke County wrestling type of thing. And this guy that he is, um, I'm, I'm, I feel like his name is Dave. I, I forget his name at the moment. Um, but this gentleman, uh, that runs this wrestling promotion in North Carolina that ran this wrestling promotion in the late nineties is the man that initially broke the bravado brothers into the business Oh, it all comes full circle. Here. Yeah, I just found that out recently. It's just a very funny thing because, you know, some of these uh, wrestling companies and, and promotions and schools are so obscure that you just you just don't know anything about them because, you know, they just do their once a month wrestling in, in their local town and they don't, you know, have any aspirations or want or need to leave. So they just kind of exist in their own bubble. I always found that fascinating about pro wrestling. So I know that part of your training is that you trained with obviously the legendary Hall of Famer, former NWA world champion, Dory Funk Jr. What was that experience like there? Is Dory hands-on with you guys at that point? Yeah, I went to Dory's camp twice, uh, December of 1999, February of 2000. And at the time people are like, Oh, it's a, it's a work. It's just, you know, they're just trying to take your money. How much can you learn about pro wrestling in a week? But I actually, I got so much out of it because not only did I meet a lot of great people that, you know, that I'm still friendly with to this day, I just, I got the experience of, of working with Dory and he was very hands-on. I remember, giving him a fireman's carry, I think, or a headlock takeover or something. And he's just a, you know, he's a thick guy. 
yeah. um, you know, this again, this is 21 years ago. Um, I did, I did get to see Dory, you know, every, every couple of months in Ocala when NXT would run shows there, he'd come out and he'd, you know, have, have his bull whip and run off a heel or something. So it was nice to still connect with Dory. But another thing that was really nice for me was I spend that time with Dory. Um, I met Bill Alfonso there. Bill Alfonso got me backstage at, at an ECW show to meet some people very early in my career, which was a nice connection to have. Uh, but I had not seen Dory for years. And I went to an All Japan show. I think uh, myself, Claudio, Ricky Marvin, we went to one at, um, I believe it was Sumo Hall in Tokyo. And sure enough, I walked backstage and there's Dory. I hadn't seen him in, you know, eight years probably, but just to nice to have that reconnection and, you know, see Dory performing in Japan where people uh, just revere him. So him and his brother, Terry, just a, a very, a cool aspect of my career. It was nice to have that relationship. And, you know, Dory is just a, a legendary hall of fame pro wrestler. Oh, no question about that. One of the things I think is really cool though, about uh, your career, especially when you were starting out in, in training, that you really sought out different <clears throat> training styles, different styles of wrestling, whether it was, British style or uh, lucha, which I think when you think of a guy your size, what you said six five, right? Six, six five. Yeah, um, yeah. Not necessarily like you'd naturally think. Okay, he's going to go learn lucha. Uh, what was the mindset? Mm-hmm. Just to try to be as well rounded as possible. So there were two moments in my wrestling career that changed my thought process and my style when it came to in-ring wrestling first was uh, the first time I saw Johnny Saint wrestle. Um, and the second time was when I got my hands on the first T2P show, the Torimon 2000 project. Right. And seeing Johnny Saint wrestle uh, for Michinoku pro uh, just blew my mind because uh, he was just kind of doing these tricks and these sequences that were so unorthodox and, I just had to find more footage and more wrestlers that wrestled like this. And uh, it's just a a a funny thing uh, that Claudia and I used to do. He would order the tapes uh, from this old, it may have been from the Wrestling Furnace website that had a ton of these old World of Sport matches on videotape. Mm -hmm. And he would take them in a PAL format, PAL format for VHS, and he would have them transferred to NTSC so that I could see them in the States. And he'd send me, you know, six, seven, eight tapes. And, you know, I'd sit there and watch these third, fourth, fifth generation grainy copies of Jim Brakes and Mark Rocco and, and uh, Steve Gray, Johnny St. Johnny Kidd, uh, Zoltan Boschek, all these guys and just study their moves and their sequences and the way they would hold things a little bit differently, the way they would move differently, um, just these different holds, different takeovers, different pins. Um, I just really fell in love with that style. That led to me going down to Atlanta, Georgia to train with Dave Taylor. And training with Dave Taylor was where I met Finley, where I met Regal. I got to spend time in the ring with both of them. Uh, This is 2002 by the way. And that just, I just wanted to be that type of wrestler. I wanted to be that, that skilled, that 
uh, diverse, that unorthodox. Um, but then also T2P, Torimon 2000, uh, basically to give a little summary of this, I really loved Ultimo Dragon's Torimon promotion. He had these students uh, that he had taught the basics of pro wrestling, you know, bumping, running the ropes, uh, conditioning, etc. And then he just sent them all to Mexico and was like, hey, spend two years in Mexico, learn the pageantry, learn the technique, and then we're going to bring you back to Japan and debut you. Um, So that is where guys like Dragon Kid, uh, Shima, uh, Magnum Tokyo, uh, Genki Horiguchi, Ryo Saito, um, you know, all the Crazy Max guys. Um, so he had built a company with this Lucha Pro Res mix hybrid style. And just was it fun and exciting. These guys uh, all had these cool outfits. It was just really awesome to see. It was like somebody had updated you know, Universal to Michinoku Pro to, you know, putting a new spin on it. And I loved these matches. <clears throat> I loved uh, just the difference, you know, the style that they had. But what happened is Ultimo decided that if he kept training wrestlers the same way, he thought his shows and matches were going to get boring. So what he did with a class of students, he had them train almost exclusively with guys like Skyde and Negro Navarro, <clears throat> Archon Hell de la Muerte. And he really emphasized this Yave style, this tricked out, uh, you know, grab someone, tuck their arms, twist, roll them, spin them, uh, go underneath them and flip them up in the air. And next thing you know, you've got them in like a triple submission, just this really funky style. He had these guys, and I mean, that was the first time I saw a six-sided ring. And this is where guys like Yoshino came from, Naruki Doi, uh, Milano Collection. Um, It was just so fascinating to watch these guys wrestle. So he had this new crew of students train in this Yave style, and he had them face off with the original Torimon guys and just a real, you know, he wanted a real styles clash and just... That was so fascinating to me because at that time, I thought I was a good wrestler. I thought I knew holds and submissions and pins. But every match that I saw, there were like five, six, seven, eight things that I did not know how to do, that I did not understand, uh, (laughs) that I desperately wanted to figure out and to start to implement into my style. And as luck would have it, I got to start to train with Skyday, their their maestro, their teacher. Uh, you know, he came to the U.S. starting in 2003. Um, then he made a deal with Chikara and started coming over for months at a time and was living in my living room on a, a futon <laughs> mattress in the, in the front room. Uh, so I got to spend years training with this guy. So it's so cool to me that I was so moved inspirationally in a pro wrestling sense by Johnny Saint and Skyda. And I was able to both have matches with both of them and to train with them and build relationships with them. And it just, when, you know, I, I love all types of pro wrestling, but I really enjoyed being able to do at least one thing, a match where even the most diehard of fans is like, 
whoa, what the hell was that? How did he do that? Like, I, I really enjoyed being able to do that. Not at the expense of the match, but finding a way to fit something in that you would not expect. And, you know, it's just kind of like an Easter egg. Right. If, you, if you don't notice it, it doesn't make any difference. But if you do notice, it makes all the difference. Right. And, and by having, being well-versed in so many different styles, you then create your own yeah. Chris Hero style. Yeah, yeah. I would, you know, I started doing more seminars than actual camps. And I would just pick, um, all right, let me pick a takedown. Let me pick a pin. Um, let me pick a hold. Uh, and then let me throw them a couple interesting conditioning things. And now I have like a two hour seminar where it's just all these things that people are, are seeing for the first time or trying to figure out for the first time. You know, my seminars have changed a lot over the years, but I was able to take a lot of these techniques and kind of spread them out amongst the scene because gosh, they're just, there's just so many unique and interesting things you can do with pro wrestling technique. And I, I love it. I love it all. I want to ask you about a series of matches that you had in, uh, the IWA Mid-South, I think it was around 2003, with CM Punk, where you guys had um, several matches that went an hour. Now, I, I had always been, like, I, just full disclosure here, I grew up in Baltimore, an old WWF city, in the territory days. And a long main event when I was growing up was 20 minutes. I mean, a lot of matches went 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. When I would read in the magazines that, you know, the NWA matches were going an hour, I can't, wow, a match lasts an entire hour. I couldn't believe that. So I've always kind of been fascinated with longer matches. And then, of course, as I got older, I got to watch Ric Flair, you know, one-hour Broadway and such. I always loved the longer matches. You guys not only did several 60-minute matches, but you guys did this 92-minute match, two out of three falls. Uh, you beat Punk for the uh, IWA Mid-South title. Was I, first question I just want to ask you is nine, going knowing that you're going ninety minutes, um, preparing for it not just from the you know you know it's going to be physically grueling from a mental standpoint. Um, what is I mean just I guess you don't know you can do it till you do it right. Yeah, um, the the funny history between Punk and myself is we both started working for IWA Mid South in the summer of two thousand summer fall of two thousand. And we got along and we were really excited to wrestle each other. And when we finally wrestled each other, we had a stinky match. It was just, you know, you just try to do too much. Um, you forget a thing or two. You go too long. It was not our, it was not our best work. Um, but we were determined to have good matches. And it took a little while to build that chemistry. but he and I would go on to have some, have some really fun matches. And what happened is they just kept getting longer organically. It wasn't like uh, the, the tables and ladders match, which was our first, you know, kind of famous match that we had. We did not intend to go 50 minutes. We just went out there to do a lot of <laughs> <laughs> and we just ended up taking up, you know, 45, 50 minutes of time. And it did not hinder the match. You know, I've had many matches that were that the length of the match hindered the overall enjoyment of the match. And that is just something that you have to figure out on your own over time. But this 
you know, it, it went well. And then our matches would kind of get longer bit by bit. And then eventually we had a 60 minute draw. Uh, the whole, the whole thing, um, just a little side story here. I'm going to, I'm going to guess it was a, a Wednesday show for IWA mid South. Um, you know, maybe it was Saturday, but we were doing these Wednesday and Saturday shows every week for IWA. And I was the IWA champion. I was, uh, my challenger was cash flow and I IWA mid South regular and Ian was off somewhere else taking another booking. Um, and he had left the, you know, locker room in charge of, um, you know, a friend of mine, Mark Wolf, um, also former Baltimore guy. And, I was wrestling. I, I kind of made the joke like, oh, hey, can we go an hour? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Should be no problem, right? <laughs> so, you know, we, we don't have a huge audience. You know, there are less than 100 people there that night. And we were both baby faces. And we just kind of wrestled each other. We didn't call a whole lot. We just, you know, did what we did. And the crowd didn't come unglued or anything, but we did our finish at like 59 minutes and 57 seconds. Right. And just to kind of see if we could do it and we did it. And Ian was furious. He's like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Like whatever. And then Ian rotten, we should say that's who you're. Yes. Ian. Yes. Ian rotten, uh, owner booker of IWA mid South. And then, you know, six months later, I'm being booked in a 60 minute draw. So <laughs> did I rib myself? Like what, what happened? Um, and just, just to kind of get through this, the day we went with the day we had the 90 minute match, we did not have the intention on actually going 90 minutes. I just thought, you know, we're doing all these 60 minute matches. Let's do a, you know, a two out of three falls and then give it a 90 minute time limit. Like that'll just kind of be the interesting draw. And then both he and I got to the building that day and we're like, Hey man, how you doing? You good? Hey, uh, you want to do all 90 minutes? And he's like, yeah, I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, I didn't have any separate kind of um, preparation for this. I knew we could do an hour. I knew we could do an interesting hour, or at least I thought interesting at the time, of just, you know, working in and out of holds, um, you know, not really going crazy, but having some good false finishes. And then I thought, well, 60 minutes, like what's what's another 30 minutes, you know? And shoot, if we are not feeling well or we get hurt or we get tired, we just take it home early, right? So we ended up doing the 90 minutes, um, time limit draw. Or I think we had uh a fall a piece and we had a double pin you know yeah. a malenko guerrero um o'connor roll bridge double pin thing and then um we're like wow we got to go to sudden death we gotta <laughs> you know so we went you know 92 93 minutes and just just a very cool moment for us uh i think the last 10 minutes of the match all the fans were standing up watching just a especially when you're doing sudden death you know that this whatever this next fall is that's the finish so just a, a a fun thing for us to have done in our careers you know we did we did an hour long iron man in germany uh you know we did multiple 30 minute matches all over um something cool to look back on but the environment for pro wrestling was very different back then and a little bit more patient to do something like that now 
you would have to really be keyed in to your audience and they'd have to really care a whole lot. You'd have to, you know, there'd have to be a reason for it. You can't just do it to do it. Right. No, there's no question about that. But yeah, I, I found that I, that might be the longest match that, um, that I, you know, I know back in the older, you know, the early days of wrestling matches would, you know, go on for like four hours or right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 90 minutes was in, at least in the modern times, like that's the longest match that, that I'm aware of. So uh, we don't have to talk a whole lot about it, but I will tell you about a thing I did up in Canada for a group called Smash 2015. Uh, they were doing a, a benefit for ALS and I wanted to do a little something extra. Um, I wanted to do my own kind of thing. And I was inspired by this Manami Toyota gauntlet where she just, I think she maybe faced 30 opponents. Um, you know, everybody comes in for like, you know, a minute and you either pin them, they pin you or the time expires. Right. That's, that's kind of the deal. It's just, she stays in the ring and she just has a revolving door of opponents. It's just this incredible spectacle. And I thought, Oh man, I want to do something like that. So we, we opened up donations and for every 500 bucks, the length of this gauntlet would go up a half hour. <laughs> I remember this now that you bring yes. it up. Yes. So we raised over $3,000. Uh, so again, I'm ribbing myself because I had to wrestle, you know, for, you know, over three hours. <laughs> um, but the way we did it is I think I had maybe 11 or 12 different opponents. And every time there was a fall, you know, whether I won or lost, I stayed and then a new person would come in. So I just kind of ran this infinity gauntlet. Um, and, it, you know, it was a very fun, very cool thing to do. Um, my socks completely sweated through and I lost my two big toenails. <laughs> um, I didn't know that was a thing that could happen. It <laughs> happened. Um, and again, this is, you know, not any stellar moment of pro wrestling, you know, technique and history, uh, but it was just something cool to be able to do and to share that moment with all those guys and just go out there and raise a bunch of money and just go out there and do what we love. It was a lot of fun. What year was that? Did you say? This was 2015. I wrestled Samoa Joe the night before at the smash show. And then the following day we went and, uh, and had our gauntlet. Yeah, I remember reading about that, thinking that was just, again, now that you brought it up, I do recall just thinking that yeah. was the easiest thing, that somebody would actually do that. Did, so you didn't get blown up by the end? Um, I, I was just completely, utterly fatigued. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm very good at pacing myself. So you'll very rarely ever, if ever, see me blown up because I won't let it get to that point. <laughs> I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm hindering the performance of the match because of my conditioning. Um, but there are, you know, you just, when you put a match together, you aren't just thinking of the match. You're also thinking of the circumstances and how things are going to be. And sometimes you need a moment to get your bearings, but then you also need to give the audience a moment to kind of, digest everything that's happened so you can kind of combine those two things together so you're not out you're not grabbing a rest hold as some people would say but you are giving yourself a chance to recover and get to the next stage of the story i want to ask you about uh one of the biggest angles in ring of honor history it's still talked about to this day 
Um, obviously, I'm talking about the ROH versus CZW feud. Um, back in 2005 is when it started. I'm, I'm curious to know who approached whom first, because it really was a turf war back then. I mean, it was two competing promotions. Uh, who made that first step to say, hey, maybe we should work together? <clears throat> it's funny you mentioned this because I just did an episode of my podcast where I talk about the road to Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier to you that I was a non-Ring of Honor guy. I was a guy that was working in a Superman shirt and baggy pants. And, you know, there was no room in Ring of Honor for someone like that, right? They already, they got Punk, they got Cabana, they got the two talented guys from the Midwest. Uh, we don't need that other guy, right? That was kind of the thought process in 02, 03, 04. I had wrestled the Ring of Honor champion, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan. At the 2005 Ted Petty Invitational, and I pinned him clean. And uh, I don't think Gabe was very happy with this, um, but you know he, you know, originally Brian wanted to do some kind of a countout or some kind of a DQ, but he did realize it was a tournament and thought, you know what, let's just do something a little bit easier and something that'll be a little bit more rewarding and and less of a big fart in a uh, <laughs> prestigious technical tournament. Um, I was working his leg over. I had his leg. He went for an NZ. I ducked it, but I held on to his leg and cradled him for a tight pin, just a flash pin. You know, it wasn't anything super decisive, but I was able to get a clean win over him. And that result led to Gabe Sapolsky thinking, man, we should really get Brian a win back. Um, and then at the same time, this coincided with the Philadelphia market uh, being a bit difficult um, for Ring of Honor at the time. I think they had brought in Kobashi and the gates did not reflect uh, the attraction that Kobashi was. And the thought was like, wow, if this didn't draw very well, you know, maybe this town is dead. Being a regular in CZW, um, just also made him think like, oh, maybe I can do something with Chris and Brian. We get the match. Brian gets his win back. And then we also have like a Philly area guy on the card to kind of draw a little bit of the, of the CZW audience. Right. That was the initial thought. Uh, Gabe reached out to me. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, you know, I was interested. And then I proceeded to cut these promos on LiveJournal. I'm not sure if you remember what Live Journal was. Okay. It was uh, like a like the old blogging style, uh, and uh, I cut a promo at at Cage of Death uh, that December, December '05, uh, talking about it because basically, uh, Ring of Honor only ran Philly a couple times a year. They're going to run in January, and it happens to be the same day that CCW has a show. So they had to come to an agreement for CCW to run the afternoon show, for Ring of Honor to run in the evening. So I cut like a I was a heel in CCW, but I cut this pro CCW promo like, man, you come into our town and we have to change our show to benefit you. Like, what kind of elitist bullshit is that, right? So I. Uh, it was just like, hey, you, you, know, you show up on my show, I'll show up on your show. Uh, so that led to a Brian Danielson appearance at the January show um, for CCW. And then that evening, I went to the Armory and wrestled Brian in a main event. And it was not meant to be 
Ring of Honor versus CCW. It was just supposed to be Brian against Chris, right? But <clears throat> all the all the work that I had put into it from my end and the way that the fans kind of caught on to it and just kind of latched on and it, it was just, these are the message board days, right? Where you have the CCW fans board, but you also have the ROH forum, right? <laughs> so you kind of have, you don't just have wrestlers feuding, you have fans feuding. Yeah. And it just created a really great atmosphere you know, the match went well. Um, the draw was great. He was, you know, Gabe was so stoked with the audience. <laughs> um, sorry, Kobashi. Um, but he told me that day, he said, listen, you know, this has gone so well. I would like to, you know, make it up to you. I don't know if make up is the right word, but I'd, I'd like to give you a, you know, something else out of this. I'll, I'll do some thinking and see what we can come up with. So, seeing how well the show turned out before we even had the match, Gabe was kind of thinking like, all right, how can we do something to, you know, to pay hero the favor back for coming in and, and helping out. But then the fans are also into this. What can we do to play off of it? And then sure enough, a couple days later, uh, he came up with this whole thing where Necro Butcher and I sat in the crowd at a Ring of Honor show in Dayton and kind of heckled. And it turned to this whole thing where there was a pull apart and what, it just turned into this chaotic scene. And then that whole thing was born. Um, I had, you know, brought Necro to that first, my first Ring of Honor show, just because, you know, as a favor to me, he came along and it just, you know, he's just the anti ring of honor you look at him and you look at what ring of honor was back then and you think like there's no way this would ever happen um but that just helped add to my uh presence at that show and then it just it, it turned into just something magnificent and we were able to work claudio in there um adam pierce bj whitmer a steel three uh you know mid-card guys for ring of honor that were just you know kind of um you know, hardworking, uh, carpentry types that just were, could be, you could slot them in anywhere on the card and they'd be great. This really gave those guys something to sink their teeth into. And then, you know, it's myself, it's Super Dragon, it's Necro, it's Claudio. Then you throw in Brian, you throw in Samoa Joe, you put Homicide in the mix. It just, it was just wonderful. Um, I'm, it's something that I'm so pleased to have been a part of. Um, and it's just, you know, I'd never really get sick of talking about it because it, there's just so many facets of it. It's so interesting. Yeah, it was really magical. I mean, it's just one of those things that just worked, to your point, maybe worked way better than, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the plan for it to work out the way it did. It's just something that kind of grew um, organically. But so it's still, it's, it's an interpromotional feud. So behind the scene, are there any tense moments uh, working together are there any you know I know this is like old you know wrestling carny talk or whatever but was there like oh, somebody's gonna double cross somebody or or was it all just like hey let's just all do business and and it's gonna benefit both of us there were never any difficulties uh, on the working standpoint um, never whatsoever However, uh, there were some miscommunications on the CZW side because when I cut my promo, mentioning ring of honor and how dare they come into our town whatever i got pulled aside by zandig at the show and he was pissed he's like what are you doing like why would you mention them why would you whatever 
so this was uh, worked out with Mike Burns of Smartmark Video, who was booking CZW at the time. He knew about this, but obviously Zandig did not quite understand the extent of what was happening. He's the owner of the company. Yes, John Zandig owned CZW at that time. And he was just so against it. He was so prideful of his company and he did not have much interest in working with Ring of Honor. Eventually he came to a Ring of Honor show and did like a live debate with Jim Cornette, which is very funny. Uh, But I don't think John ever completely bought into the angle. And that's why on his side, um, it was... um, just a missed opportunity. I think there's so much they could have done on their show. They did have ring of honor guys work on one CCW show and it just, it was okay, but it just could have been so much more. Um, I, yeah. So right from the get go, I cut my promo and I come back and he's pissed. Um, so he was, that led to Burns leaving CCW and, you know, it just made it a little bit difficult, but everything we did on the ring of honor side went very well we were able to use their cage of death for the culmination of everything but we involved you know jj dillon and and jim Cornette um in a in a cage of death (laughs) it's very funny and surreal to look back on especially um knowing how far apart those two worlds were back in that era of independent wrestling right and that's why it worked because of because of that that difference um for sure at the end of the day somebody's got to win and anytime there's a there's a war or a feud, whether it's a worked one or a or a shoot one, so at the end of the day, ROH goes over. Um, was there ever any pushback from CZW for that? No, I don't think so. Um, especially because I wasn't a top CZW guy. Yeah. I was a mid card guy. I was a tag champion. I did have a brief run with the world championship, but I was never positioned as the guy in CZW. So I don't think anyone really cared that we lost. Um, actually, the pinfall of the cage of death was homicide giving Nate Webb, spider Nate Webb, a cop killer onto a barbed wire board. Yeah. And again, Nate was not a top CZW guy. Um, I brought in Kingston to be my partner and we kind of turned on each other. And there was a, there was a whole uh, Danielson turned on Samoa Joe in the match. So just so many different things playing out in that finale. Um, I, you know, I never cared and there, I don't believe there was anybody that really cared about me losing because <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't too much longer after that, that I ended up leaving CZW. I think, Probably if that was 06, man, I, I'd, I'd have to check to be sure. But right. I remember just kind of being fed up with the way things were there. And I kind of shot on them and uh, just called it for a loser leaves town match <laughs> when it was just supposed to be a match. And I ended up losing and, and leaving CZW. Um, but it just, it was no longer the, the place that I had enjoyed. Right. And thus started your, uh, your great run. Uh, in Ring of Honor uh, from that point on. There's so many things. I mean, we could, I could keep you here forever, really. Talking about <laughs> Ring of Honor yeah. memories and, you know, maybe we'll have to on there do another part two somewhere down the line. But Sure, uh, sure, of course. I wanted to ask you before we, but we do have to uh, go to another break. But before we do, you were a part of Sweet and Sour Incorporated. So I just have to ask you, and look, we could probably do a whole podcast just about Larry Sweeney. But just your thoughts on, uh, 
you know, and for maybe there's some newer Ring of Honor fans who don't even know about Larry Sweeney. Uh, what was it like working with him? He was one of a kind, um, just a, a great friend, a great guy, and a one, you know, like I said, a one of a kind talent. Just he was so captivating, his promos, just his personality, uh, just the way he embraced it all. Um, just to this day, you know, he passed away in 2011. You can still look back on stuff he did, um, 06, 07, 08, 09. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this guy was so ahead of his time, but he was also a throwback at the same time. Um, and aside from all that, he was just one of my favorite people to spend time with. I loved all of our road trips. I loved all of our talks. Uh, I learned so much from him. Uh, just about life and just a lot of peculiar stories. Um, he just was such a, a magnetic person. Um, and it is strange to know that he's been gone for so long, but it still all feels so fresh. Um, there are a lot of us that are bonded by having relationships with Alex or Larry Sweeney, whatever you would like to call him. Um, just, I, I cherish those memories greatly. Um, if you are unfamiliar, type up sweet and sour Larry Sweeney and just go through Google, uh, look at some pictures, look at some videos. His promos were electric. He could just... You could have him cut six promos and all six would be different. All six would be interesting and funny. And he'd slip in little inside jokes that would just make us all die. Like he was so funny, so charismatic, so engaging. Um, And it is a shame that he was not able to see more success and that, uh, you know, that we were robbed of, you know, more, more, uh, work, you know, he had so much more to do so much more that he could have done. Um, but at the same time, thankful and grateful to have seen what we've seen and to have spent so much time with him. He's just, he is incredible. Um, he was, uh, stronger behind the microphone than he was in the ring. Uh, you know, he was, he was good in the ring, but he was just so, so, um, just, breathtaking behind the microphone behind the camera that Gabe originally brought him in as a sports agent character with a obnoxious Bluetooth, you know, and he's handing out his business cards to people and he's trying to get people better contracts, better deals. And he's just so schmoozy and, you know, his, uh, he's got like a, a blazer on, but his button up is, you know, maybe one button too far down. Um, <laughs> You know, maybe a little bit of a gold chain sticking out. Uh, he just drew inspiration from so many different wrestling personalities over the years, but he was able to make everything uniquely his own. Um, I just, I I loved having him uh, as a part of an entourage. We just had so much fun. We had a couple different phases of our group together, and it's just very good memories for me. Um, so much fun stuff that I've, I've forgotten a lot of it and it's fun to go back and rewatch and re-experience some of these things. Um, just one of a kind, um, one of one, Larry Sweeney. There's no question about that. Um, no doubt about it. <laughs> exactly. No doubt about it. That's the catchphrase. Um, and yes, certainly, uh, tragically he was, as you said, taken too soon. He, 
as you know, people know he, he had, uh, he, he battled some mental health issues and uh, yeah, just taken too, too soon. But I love the way you put it though, of being ahead of his time yet also being a throwback. I thought that's a perfect way to describe it. I mean, managers had kind of been marginalized, I guess, when he was around, like managers uh-huh. weren't a thing necessarily, but you know, he certainly, so he could very easily thrive during the, you know, the great Bobby Heenan and Jim Cornette and Jimmy Hart and all those great managers could have uh, thrived in that era. Um, and certainly I think today uh, there would definitely have been a, a place for a guy like Larry. Sweet. I mean, he could have, he could have run raw for years. Uh, he could have hosted WrestleMania. He, uh, he was just so multi-talented. Uh, he had so many different facets. He had so many different gears. Um, you know, he could be funny. He could be smart. He could be condescending. Uh, he could be cruel. Uh, it just, he, he really, you know, ran the gamut with all the different, um, you know, these different qualities that he had and these emotions that he could evoke, but then also bring out of himself. All right, well, we're going to take our final break and then uh, come back. We'll finish up with Chris Hero. Uh, I want to ask him a couple questions about the current wrestling scene, and then we'll get into a little game we like to call 10 Questions. We'll be back. What's up, Honor Nation? It's Angelina Love from The Allure, and I just want to let you know that this weekend is Ring of Honor's 500th episode. This is monumental. This is amazing. You don't want to miss it, so make sure that you check out Ring of Honor anytime on Honor Club and check your local TV schedules as we are on the Sinclair channels. So 500th episode, Ring of Honor, you don't want to miss it. This weekend will be monumental and you don't want to miss this because it's Ring of Honor's 500th episode. You can watch ROH TV on Sinclair channels anytime on Best on the Planet or of course, Honor Club. I'll see you there. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest today, my very special guest, is Chris Hero. You knew him as one of the kings of wrestling. He and Claudio Castagnoli, still the longest reigning ROH World Tag Team Champions. Were you aware of that, Chris? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, no, I remember uh, I remember the reign very well. I remember winning the belts in Charlotte. I remember losing them in Atlanta and I remember a lot of battles along the way but a very fun time I got knocked out by the Briscoe's dad um he open hand slapped me and put me out on my feet in Philly Papa Briscoe doesn't play around yeah no and then we got to have a, a six man at uh, Manhattan Center where <laughs> Papa Briscoe gave Claudio a, a wonderful head scissors nice yeah just yeah fun moments that was such an incredible, uh, I mean, we talk about tag team wrestling kind of, you know, being marginalized in other companies or whatever, but it was such a huge part of Ring of Honor. So much talent in the tag team division back then. I mean, you guys, you got to work with such great people. Yeah, I think uh, Motor City Machine Guns was uh, a really fun one. Yeah. Uh, just a real, a, an actual legitimate dream match. Um, we wrestled uh, Homicide and Hernandez. Uh, you know, obviously we wrestled the Briscoes a ton. You know, my my favorite tag opponents of all time, I'm sure. Um, and then, of course, Haas and Benjamin. And, you know, everybody's familiar with them now. But that was in when they were a bit of, they were in limbo a bit, you could say, where you didn't know how they were going to perform on an independent pro wrestling level. 
right? And Charlie Haas had spent time working with the Briscoes, I believe, in Jersey All Pro when they were, you know, 16, 17, 18. And, um, you know, so he had, I, I believe it was a conversation between Charlie and Jim Cornette that kind of set the wheels in motion for that. And Shelton just was perfectly content, just kind of doing his own thing, not, not really performing, not traveling. And I believe he kind of had to be talked into it a little bit. And I think both of them did not, they were not sure they were going to get such a good reception because Ring of Honor at that time is kind of like the anti-WWE. It's like, hey, we, we take people and we appreciate them for what they can do, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, how tall they are, regardless of, you know, what their backgrounds are, regardless of, uh, you know, just so so many things. You just you, you look at the talent there and then you look at what was on the big stage at WWE at that time. They weren't sure that the fans were going to embrace them. And I remember putting the match together with those two. And one, Shelton was just kind of like sitting back and observing and just kind of unsure of the whole situation. And then we're like, Oh man, this and that and whatever. And Charlie's like, I don't know, man, they might, they might boo us. We might get heat. And I'm like, trust us. You guys will be completely over. (laughs) This is going to be awesome. It made for such a great fun match and their, their demeanor, especially Shelton's just completely flipped around after the match when we were talking in the vat, they were so energized, so jazzed up. It was just really fun to see that. And that's the, the effect that pro wrestling can have on, on someone, you know, it's, it's a very, very fun and interesting thing. Well, it's interesting you, you bring up, you know, they were worried about the reaction because there were other WWE stars. I don't you know, we have to mention any names, but guys who came in that were a big deal in WWE and uh, the Ring of Honor fans were pretty brutal. So, yeah, I the ones that come to mind are Jeff Hardy as Willow the Wisp. When he That's slipped, exactly slipped, slipped on that buckle. There was yeah. also a Conan match. I know he's not a WWE guy, but he was a, he's a WCW star. Conan had a match that was not particularly awesome. Um, just it, you just think of those things as two different worlds. Um, yeah. But it just was it was harmonious. It was a great opportunity for the two of us to show what we could do. And then at the same time, you know, we're putting stuff together with, you know, Charlie and Shelton and, you know, we have an idea and they have an idea. And then Charlie will be like, Oh, well, you know, when I worked with Art Anderson, he liked this, da, 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 da. So now he's imparting particular specific wisdom that he has firsthand knowledge of. And he's kind of, relaying it onto us so that's just it's it's fun how that all works yeah that's very cool everybody's bringing something to the table yeah from from their own uh their own backgrounds their own learning that they have that's, that's yeah awesome. yeah well i know that you know obviously anybody who listened to this today can tell that you're certainly a student of the game uh you're a historian uh but also we know that you're very up on the current scene so just want to get your general thoughts about the current wrestling scene as it stands right now, obviously we're, you know, a year into uh, a pandemic, which certainly changed the landscape for everything, not just in wrestling. Uh, but we're starting to, as we said in the beginning, come out of that, hopefully. Um, so thoughts on just the wrestling scene in general, and then specifically on the current ROH product, if you've, if you've been watching. 
I think wrestling now on the independent level um, has a lot of potential. It has a lot of uh, promise and it's more diverse than I think it's ever been probably, but there isn't as much experience to go around and it's been a, there's never been a year like this before in, in the history of pro wrestling, at least from, you know, the 1950s on it, it's, it's different. It's uh, different conditions, different environment, different situations. So it is really hard to measure things now and compare them to a situation that just isn't possible right now. Um, I would like to see, I would like to see everyone just keep working hard and keep, keep doing what you're doing. Um, but something that I've said on my podcast is I want us all to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Um, and that means every little thing that you do, I want you to do it with intent. I want you to put every bit of thought into it. I think what happens a lot in wrestling matches is people put a lot of thought into their finish. Uh, they put a lot of thought into certain sequences and certain false finishes. And then I think a lot of the stuff in between uh, just does not get the same kind of energy. It doesn't get the same kind of focus. And that is evident when you see certain matches and you, um, you know, just little in between sequences that are just kind of done at a 50% or yeah. things that don't, certain parts of matches that are incongruent with other parts of matches because you just did not account for that when you put things together. Um, so I think it's important for us to hold ourselves to a higher standard and to hold our peers to a higher standard. Um, you know, we're all in this together. Um, you know, everybody wants to go out and have the best match of the night. Right. But it's not always possible. Um, so when it's not always possible to have the best match of the night, you have to do something different. You have to figure out something that is going to be different and memorable in its own way. And I don't mean jump off the balcony. <laughs> I don't mean set your arm on fire and do an elbow drop. I just mean different little nuance in details are vital to the fabric of professional wrestling. And I think some of those, some of that nuance and some of those detail, details are falling to the wayside in favor of bigger, faster, stronger, right? That's, that's the emphasis. And man, I've, I've been there too. I've done it myself. And that's not to say I wouldn't do it again, but it is when you take a step back, you can kind of see things a little more clearly. And I mean, that's what I've done. <laughs> this is the longest time of my career I've gone without wrestling. Uh, so I've looked back and watched a lot of stuff and I've watched my own stuff. And I think uh, there's just such, there's a lot of desperation in wrestling where, every, you know, people want to get signed. They want to make money. They want to do this, but you can't have that desperation if it's not focused and intentional. Yeah, that's very wise words for sure. Um, thoughts on Ring of Honor. Again, I don't know how closely you've been watching. Um, you probably know we, we took a, a hiatus for about five months during the pandemic. 
came back and and really it was it was a chance to hit the restart button uh pure wrestling has come back that was the that was our big comeback was you know the pure wrestling tournament and since then uh pure wrestling has remained a part of uh you know every match is not a pure match but it's it's now part of the show and it's really been i think a, a sense of getting back to um what ring of honor i guess maybe used to be but kind of maybe got away from it for a while trying to an, an essence if you will yes very, thank you that's that's the word i was looking for uh so w- your thoughts in general i think uh you look up look up and down that roster and there are just some extremely gifted and talented people and it's um again a lot of diversity a lot of different uh sizes shapes colors styles I think Ring of Honor brings a lot of different stuff to the table right now. Um, you know, I'm particularly a fan of the Lucha influence. You know, you got guys like Roosh, you got Bandito. I think Bandito is exceptional. Um, you have Gresham, right? Can you name uh, somebody right now that is better hold for hold than John Gresham? Yeah, definitely not. Um you know, you've got like Tracy Williams, a guy I've spent a little bit of time with in the ring and had some fun matches with. He's just really put a lot into his craft. Um, and, you know, I'm going to put over uh, a guy I'm I'm very high on my, myself, and that would be Dak Draper. Um, I've, I've known him uh, since he signed with NXT. Uh, he moved down to Tampa. You know, he was recruited by Gerald Briscoe uh, and was an amateur guy. But he had also dabbled a little bit on the independent scene, uh, being mentored by the inimitable Pat Tanaka. (laughs) And just, uh, I just always thought he had such a good attitude. Uh, he's a big, strong kid, just a, a great amateur wrestler. And I, you know, I've maintained contact with him over these years and I got to work with him a couple times in, in Colorado on some independent shows and just was always pleased to see his progression, uh, because, you know, outside of, like I said, the little dabbling he did in the independence traveling around with Pat Tanaka, his only experience of wrestling was that of uh, an untrained guy learning to train or learning how to wrestle in the developmental system with WWE. And that's not always conducive. Um, you don't always learn the best way to do what to do. You learn their way but their way isn't always the best way for you to do it. So Sam had to get out and travel the world and, and work with different people. You know, he, he went out and worked for that group in Missouri for a little while and uh, just really kind of started to embrace this character. And man, the last bit of stuff I've seen of his in ring of honor, it's like a completely different person. And I mean that in a good way. Um, He just, his, uh, I saw the little promo package he did and he just, conveyed himself in a natural way not in like a braggadocious pro wrestling promo kind of way and uh just you know with his size and his aptitude and then also just his his passion man that dude loves pro wrestling and i think that's really cool to see because his knowledge of pro wrestling and its history is you know is only scratching the surface of what it can be so i'm really excited to see what path his career takes you know in the next year or two like he's a guy i I can't sing his praises enough and i'm glad to see him uh with the platform that he has now in ring of honor yeah i'm glad you mentioned Dak because we had him on the podcast here a couple of months ago and your name came up he mentioned you as as one of the guys who um 
you know, he considered you one of, uh, one of, one of the guys I would get in trouble for helping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're not a coach, you're talent. Like, but at the same time, Hey, get this guy through a match. It's like, uh, what, what, you know, what, what do I do? Which one do I do? But yeah, he was a guy that was always thirsty for knowledge. And, uh, I love puzzles when it comes to pro wrestling. And you take a guy, you see what kind of skills he has, you see what kind of background he has, and then I'm going to try to find a match or a performer that this guy can connect with. Um, You know, hey, watch a match of, you know, not everybody can watch Rock versus Hogan. Not everybody can watch, you know, Cena versus Orton or or Kurt Angle and Benoit or, you know, like you have to find certain things that resonate more with talent because what happens is if they watch this match and they don't really like it, there's a certain shame that goes along with that. Like, man, I really didn't like that steamboat flare match. Like, is there something wrong with me? And it gets discouraging. Yeah. Um, so when you recommend stuff for people to watch and certain things to try and matches, it's just, it's trial and error. And with everybody, it's a little bit different. So, you know, he's a guy that I would be like, Hey man, try this. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Whatever. And uh, just, you know, to this day, he'll, he'll reach out to me and kind of see what my thoughts are on things. So I'm, I'm very happy for him. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing there's some, uh, some easy parallels there because, you know, as you said earlier, ring of honor, not always the place where you saw the biggest guys, super talented, but not always the biggest. You were, I guess, were you probably always the the, the tallest guy in Ring of Honor? Yeah, yeah, I was that always up there. Well, I had the I had another big one right next to me, so that's true. <laughs> but Dak, I guess, is about your size, about six five, and, and yep. you know, he had a match just recently with Jonathan Gresham, who, you know, Dak's a foot taller. Um, and I guess, I don't know, maybe to someone who's not a wrestling fan, you would just look at these two guys standing next to each other and say, this isn't believable. But man, if you saw that match, uh, it was incredible. And a lot of us have been talking about, this was really um, like a breakout moment, I think, for Dak. That he, I mean, look, I, Gresham's great. And, you know, it's hard to have a bad match with Jonathan Gresham. But still, thought Dak really brought something to the table and more than held his own in that match. Yeah, and in a pure title match, right? A completely, exactly. uh, you know, like I said, I, I said he's a great amateur, but jumping from amateur wrestling to pro wrestling and getting that figured out and then trying to have a match with a completely different rule set, um, it is easy to just go and do your thing, right? It, you know, once you get pro wrestling down, this is, I think, why a lot of people get to a cert, certain point in wrestling and plateau, plateau, um, Wrestling is uncomfortable. Figuring, out, figuring it out is uncomfortable. So when you get to a point and things are starting to work, you just want to cling on to that. You want to do what works. You don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. You don't want to try new things. You just, this is my routine. This is that. And you know what? That is fine. But again, hold yourself to a higher standard. Your match was good, but how can you make it better? You can always make a match better. You can always make a match different. So taking someone like Gresham, right, who is an exceptional technical wrestler, you know, you know one, of the, one of the best in the world, and now you're giving him the challenge of like, hey, you're going to wrestle this guy who is still ascending. You know, he's still on his way up. He has a better idea of who he is and what he wants to do, but you need to still go and do your thing and figure out how to get the best out of him. Right. But now when you're Dak Draper, (laughs) 
you are doing anything and everything you can to figure this out and to get over and to become a star. And now you've got this, you know, I don't want to say curveball, but something that is outside of your wheelhouse. So now you have to put a lot of extra thought and effort into it. You have to uh, study, you know, study these pure title matches, look at the history of it. What, what have guys done? What has worked? What hasn't worked? But then also, how can I interject myself and put my own little personal spin on this? And when you have those two guys working together to just have the, you know, the best and most interesting match they can have, that's what you get. You get, you know, two guys going out there and killing it in a match that people are going to be talking about for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to ask you before we get to 10 questions, um, you're, still a, you're still a young guy uh, by wrestling standards for sure. Uh, and clearly you've got a lot more years left in the ring. Have you given thought yet to the next step for you once, once you, because it seems like just in having this conversation with you, obviously great mind for the business, a lot to offer from that uh, side. Uh, you're thinking about being a producer one day, uh, working in creative, booking, like what, what's the long term for Chris Hero? So I love anything and everything pro wrestling. I love it all. It all fascinates me. It all interests me. I love working with other people that love pro wrestling. And like I said, figuring out these puzzles, what I see of myself, um, I, as far as training goes, uh, I love teaching pro wrestling. I do feel though that I am best suited and, and more, um, more apt to help people that are a bit further along. <clears throat> I don't want to say like a, a, like a finishing coach or whatever, but I find that I work better um, taking someone that is already somewhat formed and then trying to fine tune certain things. Uh, that's not to say that I can't teach someone from scratch. It's just that I feel I'm more talented in other aspects, you know, that are a little bit more advanced. Um, so that can be producing, you know, that can be assisting creatively. That can be um, being a part of a wrestling school, but, uh, you know, not the um, – general everyday day-to-day coach um i do see a future for myself in a lot of those areas and avenues uh and just you know like with my podcast i love talking about wrestling i love discussing it i love getting other people's viewpoints and uh, i just love getting these stories out because the more stories that i tell the more that i remember uh and the more that those stories and past experiences can influence and inspire present day me uh, you know, not to mention, you know, members of my audience. Well, let's tell people right now, since you did bring up the podcast again, tell people um, how they can find uh, can Chris Hero Save Wrestling. So Can Chris Hero Save Wrestling is free, 100% free, but you have to go through adfreeshows.com uh, to get the links. Uh, so there's an audio version, uh, which you can access straight from the website. Uh, but there's also a video version that's available uh, through a private link on YouTube that you can also access through going to ad free shows. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to join the Patreon. Uh, you can, there are tons of, of great shows on there. Just a lot of awesome content. Um, just even if you just want to give it a try for a month and kind of peruse, there's a lot of stuff in there that I think you'll like. Um, 
but my show is absolutely free. You don't have to pay anything for it. It is not available on uh, regular, uh, you know, podcast apps uh, because, uh, again, like I said, it goes through ad-free shows. Uh, I do have a Twitter account uh, dedicated to my podcast. It's at Can Chris Hero. And that's where I do most of my interaction when it comes to talking with people about my podcast and, and interacting with people. I love getting people's opinions and thoughts and suggestions. It's just been a, a fun experience to uh, finally jump into the podcast world. You know, for the longest time, I just thought, man, everybody's got a podcast. Like, um, they're, you know, wh what do I have to bring to the table that's different? And now I, I genuinely feel that uh, I do have um, an interesting take and perspective on pro wrestling, whether it's my history or just talking about wrestling in general. I love it. And is there uh, a separate Twitter account that you have as well that's not the, the podcast one? Yeah, yeah. At Chris Hero on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, I've got a pro wrestling tea store. You know, basically, if you put Chris Hero in Google, a bunch of different stuff will come up. And most of it is me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now, Chris, we've come to the point in the show where it's time for a little game we like to call 10 questions. Are you up for this? Uh Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what everybody says, but now sure. it'll, it'll, it'll be painless. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right. Question number one, what's something on your bucket list? And this could be wrestling or just life in general. Hmm. Well, damn, man, I just want to get in a plane and travel some more. <laughs> yeah. It's been so long, uh, but there's so many different places I still want to go to that I've never been to. Um, and you've been I, to a ton of places. Yeah, you know, I, I think I've, you know, wrestled in 20-ish countries. I've wrestled in I'm close to 45 states. You know, maybe it's a little closer to 40, something like that. Man, I, I want to wrestle in every state. I want to go everywhere. I want to, um, you know, travel to all these different countries and continents I've not gone to. So that is, I mean, definitely when, when things are a little bit easier, I'm all vaccinated. Things are nice. People are being cool. I'd love to get back out there and go see the world some more. All right. Question number two, what's a subject you'd like to know more about? I mean, is it cheating if I say the history of pro wrestling? <laughs> I just always find it so fascinating. Um, it, I don't know if it is an attention span thing or what, but I will see a photo. And if I don't know everybody in the photo, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, all right, who's this guy? All right, where did he come from? What territory What territory did he work? Who did he work for? What was his gimmick name? Whatever. Um, I am just so fascinated and enamored with all that that I just have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of wrestling books and you know, some I've read, some I haven't. Um, but I just would love to just, I, I like being the guy that has the answers. You know, when somebody's like, hey, man, what, you know, what do you, you know, where'd this person come from? Or what did this happen? Or, or um, yeah, I love being the guy that is like, oh, yeah, I know that. No problem. It's this. And, and you kind of get to spread that out. I, I love being able to do that. 
Yeah, when it comes to wrestling, I'm that guy in some circles, but I don't think I'd be that guy if you were in the room. So I, I'd, I'd But you know what, though? I mean, I just have my own specialized uh, area of expertise. There is so much that I don't know. And when it comes to specific dates or specific towns or whatever you know there's some stuff that i know like the back of my hand and then there's other stuff that i'm just like uh i'm if i went you know if i challenged this person i'd i'd be embarrassed because i'm not in their wheelhouse okay fair enough fair enough all right question number three do you have any hidden talents is there something you're good at that we're not aware of hmm gosh well if i did i'd might try to make some money off of it, right? <laughs> um, hidden talent. Uh, no, I just, I have, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, when I like something, when I'm interested in something, I have to know everything about it, right? I can't uh, watch an episode of television, right, without looking it up and finding out what other people think of it. What, what is this and whatever that like, I'm just am so immersive when it comes to that stuff. If there's a band that I like or a rapper that I like, I want to know where they came from, what their first album was, what their influences were. Um, so because of that, I have a lot of unconventional and useless knowledge. Um, <laughs> so it may not interest anyone else, but I'll be damned if I don't know it. All right, so if there's ever any pop culture trivia games, uh, and we're in proximity, so I would I would want you on my team. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good with some of that stuff. Okay. Well, it's funny you say that too about because I'm the same way with movies. After I watch a movie, it, it, this is like without fail. I will go to imbd.com and click on the user reviews to see what other see if other yeah. people share my opinion of it. Yeah, I, I do that with Reddit. I mean, that's a bit of how I got so uh, so interested in Reddit because every movie has like an open discussion on it and there will be little Easter eggs that I didn't know about. And, oh man, I did, you know, it just gives you this different perspectives and uh, man, it just helps me open up my brain. I actually, I'm not sure if you're ever on Reddit, but this inspired me. Uh, to open my own subreddit. I have a subreddit, r slash wrestling genius, because I was doing these uh, Q&As on on Twitter, hashtag ask wrestling genius. I was just getting these fun questions that I'd like to jump into. And, uh, you know, I consult with friends of mine that know certain things more than I do. And I'd kind of pick around and come out with some info then i just started a, a whole subreddit a whole forum where people can ask questions and discuss pro wrestling so that's a, a little something fun that i started last year when the pandemic hit yeah, very cool very cool well you know you just, we were just talking about movies perfect segue into question number four this is a fun one uh who plays chris hero in the uh, movie about your life uh is it jeff daniels like Big Lebowski style. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's that's what uh, that's what comes to mind at the moment. Okay. Or I mean Chris Hemsworth, depending on you know what shape I'm in. See, that's not because of the hair. That's where I thought we were going. I really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'll be the dude. I'll be Thor. Whatever you want. <laughs> you ever gonna cut the hair? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, it's just. Um, yeah. It, it's not something that I that would make me sad, but I'm pretty fortunate that 
my hairline is still pretty tight. <laughs> yeah. That uh, I'm just I'm good where I'm at. Man, I had a shaved head all growing up. You know, I, I, you know, I had some spikes here or there, but, you know, throughout my high school years, I played football. I just had a, you know, short shaved head. And then when I got into pro wrestling, I thought, man, I, it looks kind of cool when they get punched and their hair whips, you know? So I just kind of grew it out and it's been long ever since. Yeah. Well, I tell you, just for, for people who may have receding hairlines, yeah. I, I could be one of those. Get me, uh, get me an arena Mexico with Negro Casas hair versus hair. I have no problem putting it up. <laughs> Well, yeah, with hair like that, it's it's got to be a hair versus hair. Or oh, hair yeah, I got it. I got to get some. Hair. I got to get a payday out of that. A hundred percent. You've had it this long. I mean, you've got to just, you know, don't let Vince Russo shave it in oh. a natural nitro. Oh. oh, my God. Or Remember let that? The, or let the sinister minister shave my head. Carve um, head up like he did to Raven. I was there that night. I was doing uh, explosion matches for TNA at the time. So I got to see poor Raven come back with chunks out of his head that was brutal yeah well i remember i was the magazine editor in wcw believe it or not back in yeah 2001 when vince russo shaved rick flair like rick had gone so many years without anybody touching his hair and then it happens in something that's not going to draw a dime and is going to be forgotten about and it's vince russo it was just yeah and it isn't technically it isn't forgotten about but it's remembered it's remembered for the wrong reasons right yeah all right. Uh, question number five. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if not, do you believe in its existence? Uh, I have not. Uh, I don't particularly believe, uh, but I do find those things interesting. Um, gosh, I, uh, you know, different. I, I'm, I like stories that kind of creep you out. Um, but when it comes to certain horror movies, if they don't have that certain bit of believability for me, I just, uh, I, I check out. It doesn't grab me the same way. So I'm, I'm a little bit tricky when it comes to that. But I do love, uh, you know, twisting and mind bending. Like I, I do love that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. Question number six. Uh, I know that you're into music as well. So what's the first concert that you attended, if you remember? Uh, I went to see Corn in, I'm going to say 1996. Um, I don't remember going to any concerts before that. Um, my first hip hop concert was in 98 and it was <clears throat> LL Cool J, uh, Big Pun, and Lord Tariq and Peter Guns, a very 1998 concert. Yes, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number seven. Uh, this is a deep, little bit of a deep one. If you could have a conversation with any celebrity or historical figure, alive or dead, uh, who would it be? Um, Kanye West 10 years ago. Hmm. Okay. Not, not feeling current Kanye. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I loved and was inspired by so much of his music and just really appreciate his albums and his work. And, uh, but man, last couple of years have been brutal. So I'd have to go in a time machine for that. Yeah. Somewhere along the way, things kind of, kind of went South. Yeah. Okay. Question number eight, what's something popular that you don't see the appeal of? Hmm. 
baseball. Um, I, but but that's hard though because I do see the appeal of it. It's just not interesting to me. Find it boring. Um, um, yeah, I just am not. Yeah, I'm not. I, I loved it when I was little. You know, I loved the Bash Brothers. Um, loved Frank Thomas. Um, but yeah, I just I lost interest. Country music is another one that I just am not. I'm not feeling. I do see. You know the benefit of some of it, but it as a you know, like pop country, not my thing, man. Gotcha. All right. Question number nine, what's the best advice that you've been given about pro wrestling and who gave it to you? I think I'll go back to that quote that I used earlier. Uh, it's not less is more, you know, less is less, more is more, you know, that's, that's bullshit. It's get more out of less. Um, and just when you have that mindset, you're approaching your matches in a different way. To let's do this, but how can we get the most out of it? It's not, oh, let's cut this out, let's cut that out, whatever. It's no, we're choosing to do A, B, and C, but how can we build these things up so that they mean more, they're more impactful, um, they connect more with the audience and they get a bigger reaction. They get a bigger, you know, I would like to get the best reaction possible when I take a bump. <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse than doing something death defying and having a hard landing and then hearing crickets. You're just like, oh, man. Um, so I, will, I won't grill you too hard on this, but of all the uh, luminaries in pro wrestling that I have worked with over the years, who do you think it was that, that passed on this sage wisdom to me? Hmm. Wow. I'll, so, give you, I'll give you two guesses and then I will end the misery. Let's see, who would have said that to you? I mean, it doesn't sound like something Dory Funk Jr. would say. No, nope. no. Dory's too busy hitting you with a European uppercut. <laughs> right. Um... Wow. I'm going to go. Well, let me ask you this. Did you get this early in your career or late? No, I got this when I, here's a hint. I got this when I was in developmental. Okay. Triple H. Uh, it was not triple H, but I will, uh, I will end the misery right now uh, and say that there is a connection to triple H because this gentleman did train with killer Kowalski. Um, would you believe that Perry Saturn said that to me? I, you could have given me a hundred guesses. I can, uh, Perry Saturn I, would not have been on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Perry came down to guest coach a couple different times. I always tried to get as much time with him as possible. He was really cool. Um, you know, he had a lot of fun technique stuff, but he just had interesting thoughts on the business too. Uh, and he was actually at that time going to come on as a, a full coach once we started the performance center but just had a little bit too much um, you know damage maybe his neck maybe whatever it just didn't end up working out unfortunately but it was Perry Saturn that told me get more out of less less is more is bullshit man so thank you Perry all right question number 10 this is the final question uh, I know that you're a basketball fan I know by looking at your social media that you're a Duke basketball fan correct absolutely 100% diehard this will be timely an honest answer now don't be biased the greatest shot 
in the history of the NCAA. Oh, come on. Christian Leitner's buzzer Yes, it's got to be. Or what, Jalen Suggs? Is that what you said? Everybody's comparing it to Leitner's shot. Um, I mean, that was a hell of a shot, but I've, I mean – even if you, even if I'm not biased, just the iconic, just if people don't talk enough about Grant Hill's pass. What that pass had to get there without getting deflected or yes. intercepted. Like, what a great pass! I mean, how many times has that same sequence been replicated in driveways across the United States, across the world, even? Um, and Christian Leitner was the perfect college basketball player. Um, just you know his his run there his final fours his accolades just an incredible basketball player uh you know he was perfect that night just i mean that that jalen suggs oh my gosh what a what a heartbreaker um you know outside of a couple missed layups and uh you know maybe a, a silly turnover or two ucla played a perfect game they pushed him to ot uh just Man, that was an incredible basketball game, and you got to give it up to to the Zags for pulling that off. That wasn't even a you know it wasn't like he swished that either. That was like a a Gordon Hayward off the backboard, you know. Yeah. Man, incredible moment. Uh, but I would say the pure best shot. It's got to go to Leitner, man. It's got to go to Leitner. Okay, I can't argue with that. I, yeah. I remember, I remember <laughs> the shot. I don't think that'll. I was actually. Uh, I was working at the Baltimore Sun at the time, and we were yeah. in the we were. I worked in the sports department, and we were working that day. And you know, so we were in the office, and we're all gathered around the TV, and just the reaction of that was just you know I'll never forget it. It's like where were you when he hit that shot? I remember where I was. I remember yeah. the, and you know, again, there's a lot of uh, you know I work in Baltimore, so there's a lot of Maryland Turk fans, a lot of people Oof. in the office that hated Duke and hated Leighton. So <laughs> I always loved Leighton though, because to me he was like a heel. Right, like yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like Looking dude who was so good, and he was like kind of this prep school pretty boy, but he was so you know, it's like man, you just love to hate him. But I, I always appreciated the heels, so I always liked Christian Leitner. I mean, remember, didn't it like he like step on a dude one time? Yeah, yeah, right. he uh, UK guy kind of stepped on his chest. Um, how funny! He's he's since gone back to University of Kentucky and like these. Uh, you know, like alumni events, and it's it's just very funny. He goes out there and he gets booed like a heel. It's great. Uh, what's awesome though, it's just the magic of documentaries. If you watch the Thirty for Thirty, I hate Leitner, yep. you see his actual story, and and he just becomes a sympathetic character, and you go, oh, that's why he was the way he was. It's just just the magic of production. I, I love that kind of stuff. I'd encourage people to to watch that documentary if you were just a little unclear on on the history of Christian Leitner just what a what a cool thing I I have uh dream team jerseys of his because <laughs> he was on the dream team what a what a funny thing right yep can you believe yeah. that shot against Kentucky was 29 years ago gosh unreal man yeah. unreal well time fl- time flies as you said the older you get uh the more it flies by yep and speaking of flying by I don't know if it did for you but this, whatever, are we two hours into this thing? Um, <laughs> it's flown by for me. And, uh, you know, selfishly, I, I could I could go another hour or two, I think, of talking wrestling with you. But we can't do that. I know you have uh, places to go and things to do. Food to eat. Yeah, food to eat. <laughs> but, uh, 
Hey, man, just thanks so much for, for giving uh, so much of your time today. It was, it was great talking to you. And uh, like I said, it was uh, the perfect timing with uh, episode one, uh, you know, looking back on that as we're approaching episode 500 this week. Uh, man, what's, what a journey it's been for Ring of Honor. And uh, man, what a career that, that you have had and, and not over yet. Yeah. And just, you know, congratulations to Ring of Honor um, 500. I don't know if you would call that an anniversary, but happy uh, special event, <laughs> whatever that might be. It's just such an accomplishment with the turnover in professional wrestling. It's just a, a great accomplishment. And I mean, that's, that's only, uh, you know, the you know, the last 10 years of ring of honor, you know, there's an entire history even before that. So it's just, uh, I feel, um, um, grateful that I had my experiences with ring of honor and just to have been a, to have been a small part of their, of their history. It's, it's great. Uh, they're in great shape now. They got a lot of talented people, a lot of guys really working hard. Uh, it was my pleasure to, to come on and, and talk with you about this, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Well, and I want to uh, thank you again, Chris, and, and uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. I want to remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked into ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, you can read my column, X-Files every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe and let's all be ROH strong. to the planet. ROH's 24-hour streaming channel is celebrating the 500th episode of ROH TV with an exclusive two-hour special presentation on Thursday, April 15th. Relive the top moments in ROH TV beginning with the very first TV main event. Then, for the first time ever, watch the free premiere of ROH TV's 500th episode. Streaming Thursday, April 15th starting at 6 p.m. Only on Best on the Planet. Find the Best on the Planet streaming channel on Stir and Plex or go to ROHWrestling.com for more info.